0: You are listening to the Political
1: Periscope, a weekly podcast brought to you by Radio WNET. Interviews on international politics, security, geopolitics, economy, and more, every Thursday at 7 pm. Today's interview is part of Radio WNET's project on the Bucharest Nine, the countries of NATO's eastern flank.
2: Our guest is Dragomir Zakov, the Minister of Defense of Bulgaria. Political Periscope. Mr.
1: Minister, are you concerned about the situation in the Black Sea? I cannot say we are afraid, because Bulgaria is a member of NATO and the European Union. Uh, But we are seriously concerned uh, about the situation, of course, in Ukraine, the Russian war uh, in Ukraine, the Russian military invasion, also the militarization of the Black Sea. Uh, the militarization of Crimea, uh, the illegally occupied Crimea. So we are seriously concerned, really. Uh, We don't feel a direct military threat, but we feel uh, important challenges to our security. The Prime
2: Minister of Slovakia, in a meeting in Bratislava during a conversation with the Austrian Chancellor, said that he was very concerned about what was unfolding around Odessa, concerned that Ukrainian grain exports could not proceed normally. He said that NATO cannot afford to have the Russians
0: occupy the Black Sea coast. Is that your opinion as well?
1: Yes, of course, there is such a scenario, definitely. Uh, and uh, most probably this is one of the uh, Putin's objectives to actually occupy uh, the entire Black Sea coast of Ukraine, uh, thus actually also disrupting the, the food supply uh, through the Black Sea or uh, also through the, uh, the land borders of uh, Ukraine with Romania. Uh, so in my view, there is such a, such a scenario uh, in the head of the, the Russian president. Uh, The question is uh, whether this is possible or not, and I think that uh, Ukraine has a very uh, sophisticated defense uh, already in place in that part of of the country, Uh, and also uh, Odessa has never been actually occupied uh, by by anyone, Uh, so uh, historically, I mean, uh, also we have to also count the history. Uh, But this is also a concern, because uh, I think uh, it is not a concern about Bulgaria, because we are a big producer also of uh, of wheat. Uh, The problem is, I think, for for Europe, for the global food food storages, and also for the poor countries, poor countries in Africa, uh, mainly. So the, the poor countries in Africa will be the first victims of such kind of food crisis. I
2: ask this because I left from Bratislava, from Globsec, with the impression that if the war expands, it will be
0: onto the Black Sea. That this is where NATO cannot afford to let Russia succeed. Unfortunately,
1: the conflict is in the Black Sea already. And uh, unfortunately, actually, Russia has the lead for the moment. Um, so you know that uh, actually the NATO uh, maritime groups are outside the Black Sea, uh, which of course is due to the, uh, uh, the so-called A2AD uh, area created by Russia in the, in the Black Sea. You know that uh, actually uh, Ukraine, Ukrainian cities, uh, has been stricken by, by Russia also from ships from the Black Sea. Uh, We know the situation from the first days of the wars um, around the Snake Island, uh, which is a strategically important island in the Black Sea, just 40 kilometers away from from the Danube River. Uh, So, uh, yes, Russia is uh, is in the lead now. The question is uh, how we can deny this leadership uh, actually in the next weeks and months and you're completely right uh, nato cannot afford of actually leaving uh, russia be in the lead uh, for a very long period uh, in the militarily of course uh, in the in the black sea but where russia is in the lead in this case and this is a military uh, let's say leadership because nato wanted to avoid a conflict with Russia, direct conflict with Russia. So uh, we had to actually choose uh, between being in conflict with Russia but deny this uh, this leadership or leave Russia, um, actually be um, creating this A2AD uh, zone in the, in the Black Sea. But I think uh, with what NATO is doing now on the eastern flank, uh, this will be rectified uh, very soon, not only in the Black Sea, but in the entire region. In in
2: Russian propaganda, propaganda, this is already a war
1: that is between Russia and and the North Atlantic Alliance. Exactly, the propaganda is is saying like this. Uh, This is very visible also in Bulgaria. Uh, Actually, um, we know that Russia, even before the war, actually, uh, the Russian propaganda machine, actually, uh, had uh, many times actually um, uh, declared that NATO has installation in Ukraine, installations in Ukraine, or military bases in Ukraine. Uh, now we, we witness that this is not the case, of course. It is, this has never been the case. Uh, so um, uh, f- today uh, Russia says, okay, uh, NATO allies uh, actually sent weapons, to Ukraine that means NATO is, is also uh, party to to the to the armed um, conflict uh, so the Russian propaganda will, will stay as it is uh, the question is how we respond to this propaganda uh, what is the truth and uh, what we're doing really on the spot uh, also how we shape our uh, the, the opinion of our of our public yeah. how
2: strong is Russian propaganda in, in Bulgaria? Bulgaria very strong.
1: And I should say also, uh, Bulgaria has been a victim of uh, the Russian uh, hybrid propaganda, uh, let's put it in a larger context, uh, since many months, long before the the conflict started on the 24th of of February. And actually the latest uh, emanation of this uh, hybrid uh, toolbox, hybrid warfare toolbox, is the cut of gas supply which is part of this propaganda uh, saying that uh, if we if you don't comply with certain rules uh, then uh, you will be out of gas and but we are still but we still have supplies not from russia
2: how does bulgaria defend itself against russian propaganda
1: by communicating communicating to, to, to the larger public. That's what I'm doing since my uh, first day in office, uh, from 1st of March. Uh, and uh, when I uh, took over the, actually, the lead of the ministry, I remember in March uh, there was a large denial of any kind of allied presence in Bulgaria. Uh, now, a few months later, uh, we've decided to, to have Italy as a framework nation to the battle group. In Bulgaria, and uh, there was no single voice against, public voice against. If
2: public opinion polls were taken, would the majority of Bulgarians be on the side that you are on, or would they say it's none of our business, we want to be
0: neutral, or would they agree with Putin? You know, the, the
1: The results are very interesting, because on one side, um, I think the the latest poll was from Globsec, by the way, of uh, more than 50% of the Bulgarians don't blame Putin, for example, for the war. At the same time, we have figures saying that uh, many of the Bulgarians uh, um, are against uh, uh, Ukraine in a way also, also, but also supporting Putin uh, due to a fear, fear from Putin. And this is very interesting uh so um you know it's there is no need to actually change the public opinion it's always possible to shape it so um uh, th- that's what we are trying to do uh to explain to our people uh they have certain beliefs maybe and they're victims of propaganda but actually we try to explain the the truth we try to explain what is at stake uh what is at stake in their future as well uh so that's what what we are doing uh, I don't know whether it will be successful or not, and it's not always needed actually to follow the uh, large, uh, the larger number uh, in the in the public opinion, uh, because uh, this is at the end leadership. So um, the leaders sometimes need to to go with the right decisions rather than to go to you know to, to, the, uh, to the to the to leading the polls, let's say, or to follow the polls.
0: You
2: became minister on an urgent basis on the 1st of March. You flew in from Brussels, where you were Bulgarian's ambassador to NATO. In what condition did you find the Bulgarian army? What surprised you
1: most? You know, there were no surprises. Let's say because being an ambassador to NATO, I was fully aware, of course, of the of the status of uh, state of play in our in our armed forces. Uh, not even uh, being only an ambassador, but before that, also working on NATO in the in the foreign ministry. Uh, so there were no surprises. But what I'm trying to do now is to to put a real focus on the modernization of the armed forces. Uh, to overcome the dependency from Soviet air equipment uh, as as fast as possible. Uh, and, of course, uh, creating this culture of working with allies, uh, of course, both on Bulgarian territory, but also outside the Bulgarian territory. Uh, that's, that's why, actually, for the last three months, I uh, have been working very hardly with my, my team uh, to actually uh, get uh, this battle group ready for... Uh, so the, the NATO battle group ready in, in Bulgaria with the participation of allies. We have only the, the U.S. here with the striker company. We have uh, the U.K. that joined the, the, the U.S. striker company. And we are waiting for Italy as a framework nation with up to 800 uh, personnel.
2: The NATO summit in Madrid is coming up. What are Bulgaria's expectations? To what extent should this NATO presence and NATO troops here in Bulgaria be strengthened?
1: I think we might see actually kind of a historical summit ahead of us. Because apart from the strategic concept uh, that this summit will approve, the next strategic concept, which is a very important document in this, in this, in the current context, uh, for the, for the, for the next, let's say, almost decade. Uh, But also, uh, other important decisions like uh, innovation funds, like Diana, uh, the implementation of Diana. Also, uh, many important decisions related to most probably resources but also, very importantly, on the deterrence and defense side, which is uh, the concept on how NATO will evolve in the next years, uh, coping with uh, the threat of Russia. Uh, I think that uh, NATO is already back to to its core mandate, which is collective defense, which means uh, defense is the key word uh now we have uh, kind of um, enhanced forward presence we don't call it exactly defense uh my guess is that nature will go towards defense which means maybe forward defense not forward presence with, uh, this is a very interesting cost concept as well uh that will evolve in the next in the in the, in the years in the years to come uh, so, that's why I'm saying uh, we most probably will see historical decisions and historical summit. Should the NATO bases be moved to the east?
2: These are the expectations of Poland. These are the expectations of the Baltic countries.
1: I think NATO is already on the eastern flank uh, with, uh, with allies, with uh, quite an important number of troops. Uh, this is exactly what Putin wanted to avoid before before the war. Of course, now he's seeing it uh, on his borders, uh, on the Russian borders. Uh, but I think uh, since NATO is already on the eastern flank quite massively, uh, but the, quite, but quite, uh, yes, it should be quiet because the, the main uh, the main purpose of NATO is collective defense, but also deterrence. This is not about attacking anyone. Uh, so NATO is not an offensive alliance. NATO is a defensive alliance. Uh, quite mean that, of course, we are creating our defense. We are not creating offensive capabilities. So offensive need, need to be loud, I think, in a way. And that's what Russia is doing. Uh, so um, uh, so now with so many structures already and so many troops uh, across the along the eastern flank uh, from the strategic depth. This this is from the from the Western Europe. Uh, and, across the, and across, from across the Atlantic. Uh, I think that it's time actually to structure this this presence because otherwise it will remain just a forward presence with no structure. Uh, and if you say it's quiet, I think maybe it's not well structured most probably. Uh, and I think this is the next summit, the summit in Madrid will uh, actually set the scene for this kind of structure to evolve. And I guess that most probably the, the summit next year uh, will be also important in uh, in order to consolidate uh, the decisions we're going to take uh, already in Madrid.
2: But with such an aggressive policy of Putin, does NATO have time for all these summits and this decision-making on a long-term schedule? I think
1: NATO has uh, all necessary structures to deter and defend allies. Uh, NATO has uh, all the resources to do so as well. Secure has uh, now currently all the resources to defend an uh, area of responsibility. So um, the question from, uh, from now on should be actually to structure all these efforts in the best way in order to be effective. Uh, So, uh, to sum up, actually, NATO has everything necessary to defend and deter from any kind of aggression uh, 360 degrees, including from Russia. So, uh, the question is how this could be made better, how this could be made faster, and uh, how this could be made in a more structured way. That's a
2: very optimistic view. I don't know if it looks that
1: optimistic
2: from Kiev's perspective. Do you share the view that there is a war going on there,
1: in Ukraine, for the future of Europe? Of course, in a way, Ukraine is fighting for our values, for the democracy. Uh, And all these values actually are enshrined in the Washington Treaty. And that's why we say in Bulgaria that we fully support Ukraine in its uh, European future and also the European integration of Ukraine. Uh, so, uh, because Ukraine actually has proved um, to, to be the real defender of our values today. Uh, but I'm optimistic because I know NATO from inside uh, as, as former ambassador to, to NATO. And I can say that really NATO has the necessary tools to defend and deter from any aggression.
2: And what do you think? Are you among those who say that the war in Ukraine will last a long time? And if yes, yes, what does that mean? How long? I had this kind of question, uh,
1: you know, I had a panel in Globsec, so I had similar question. Uh, And I, I responded that actually the this war will be decided by the technology. Because now what we are seeing in Ukraine is uh, finally uh, a clash between um, the 21st century technology against the mass from the 20th century uh, tactics of Russia in, the, in this case. And I think that, and um, uh, I don't believe, actually I believe that Ukraine will win this war at the end. Uh, this is my my, my real belief. Uh, and it's, this will happen when Ukraine has enough Uh, capabilities to overcome the mass of the 20th century russia because russia is what is russia is doing now is a massive military invasion with 20th century tactics Uh, which is not the case from the ukrainian side and we see in the last uh, especially in the last uh, in the last month uh, that ukraine has many advantages already uh, from technological point of view uh, over the Russian, uh, over the Russian um, uh, equipment. So uh, this war is very strange because actually we really see uh, 21st century against 20th century, uh, and this, this will be decisive in the end.
2: And I, on the other hand, I'm afraid that Russian bombing will tire out the Ukrainians, and the Ukrainians will get fed up with the war.
1: You're right. Actually, bombardments are very heavy. Uh, I visited Ukraine together with my Prime Minister uh, in April, so we witnessed um, what was the devastating result of um, roughly 20 days' presence of the Russian troops uh, in the outskirts of Kiev, in the in the in the small villages around, uh, including in Bucha and Irpin. Uh, Bordianka, so um, and the small villages around as well. Uh, so and this was only for twenty days' presence. So I can't imagine what is left after uh, the Russians in, uh, for example, in Lugansk uh, in region, after so many months of heavy fight. Uh, but I think, uh, as I said, this war will continue uh, as long as uh, Ukrainians receive the necessary technological advantage over the Russian troops or someone in Moscow decides to stop this uh, um, awful war.
2: What are the chances of the
1: latter happening? I want to believe the chance is big to be realistic for the time being. I don't see it's, it's big enough.
0: How
2: on this background and if at all Is Bucharest 9 important for Bulgaria? How is the cooperation among the Bucharest 9 on this background? Uh,
1: You know, Bucharest 9 has been created as a platform for consultations, uh, and uh, this is actually the value of this format, because we can discuss really in a very concise format of the uh, countries from the eastern flank, many times, of course, with uh, US, with France, with uh, Secretary General of NATO on how we can move forward uh, on the uh, deterrence and defence activities on the eastern flank, but also uh, sending political messages to our both our allies, but also uh, to the outside world. Uh, we have today uh, defence ministerial in B9 format. There will be a B9 summit, uh, I think, on Friday this week. Uh, so this will be a B9 week. And I, I hope... Uh, we'll be ready to we'll be able actually all of us all nine uh, to send clear messages including through uh, decoration from this the decorations from both from both meetings uh, and to to actually say to the to the outside world what we can do in it be, I mean all nine of us. Uh, but also what, can, what we can help Ukraine uh, in the current uh, difficult times.
2: There is a full understanding and total agreement among the prime ministers and ministers of the Bucharest 9, including the fact that they all want to expand NATO to include Finland
1: and Sweden. Yes, of course, uh, We I think it's out of any question that uh, Finland and Sweden should be part of NATO. Uh, but, in Bulgaria, the documents actually for the ratification of the of the membership are already uh, in the in the pipelines, uh, awaiting, of course, the the formal uh, the, the formalities uh, in NATO. Uh, so there is no no question from, from Sofia about about the membership. Uh, I think there is no question also in B9. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that this this issue actually will be in the declaration from from today, uh, also also from uh, from Friday from our heads of states. Mm. The
2: Bucharest 9 has no doubts, Turkey and Ankara have such doubts. They set conditions for Sweden and Finland, not necessarily conditions that Sweden and Finland can meet, because this is about human rights, about the rights of the Kurds to be able
1: to live, to exist and to work normally. You know, in nature, same time, you need more time, more discussions, more consultations. Uh, in order to find the right solution, it doesn't mean a long time di- for for these discussions. So I, I truly hope that uh, in the next three three weeks, almost three weeks, uh, until the summit in Madrid, uh, there will be consensus in NATO. There is uh, this kind of sentence enshrined in the room one of NATO, uh, saying "animus in consulendu liber." which means uh, that our minds are free in the consultations and uh, this is because I again I was there and I can prove that uh, in the consultations in room 1 we, c- we will be able to find uh, solutions and I truly believe in this. Mm-hmm. This is
2: another question about Polish Bulgarian military cooperation and relations. How do you see Poland's role?
0: What are these direct relations like?
1: Well, we have we enjoy excellent relations with Poland, uh, not only between ministries of defense, but also bilaterally. I mean, in general, uh, at all levels, uh, starting from president uh, all down to the to the ministers. Uh, so uh, we are also trying to work now with Poland uh, for the extension of the life cycle of uh, our MiG twenty nine, so we can uh, actually have their policing uh, from Bulgaria up until. Uh, We receive the new F-16 Block 70 in 2025. Uh, So, uh, if you remember, most probably uh, in Iraq, uh, the famous operation defending the, um, defending Kerbala. Uh, So, the city hall of Kerbala by Polish and Bulgarian troops. And this is something historical that is taught now in the the leading military academies. So, uh, we have uh, also proved our uh, bilateral military uh, cooperation uh, actually in the battlefield.
0: To na zakończenie Panie Ministrze pytanie o This is my
2: final question, Mr. Minister, because we talked about the military aspect, but the weapons that Putin uses are also world hunger, that is, food and energy. As far as energy is concerned, there are sanctions introduced by Western countries. Bulgaria manages with gas it gets from Azerbaijan, but oil? Here it is worse, because
0: Lukoil is the only oil refinery in Bulgaria.
1: Yeah, we have to separate maybe the petrol from the gas, because those are two different issues for us, actually. They're of course connected, but uh, they can be dealt uh, with in in a slightly different way. Uh, On the gas supply... Uh, in one day, we went from um, more than 90% dependency to 0% dependency. Uh, We're still receiving gas from uh, from different sources. Uh, on the petrol supply, this is totally different thing. As you said, we have only one refinery. Actually, uh, this is uh, this is Russian-owned, this is Lukoil, uh, and this is much more complicated uh, that's why Bulgaria actually wanted to to have derogation from uh, the EU sanctions now for um, for some time in order to to try to find alternative um, uh, su- alternative uh, supplies. Uh, but on the gas, this is really, really interesting. Uh, how actually for so many years uh, we were not able to to go or to to lower the dependency from uh, from Russia, and then in one day we went to zero percent. Uh, and nothing wrong happened at the end of the day. Yeah, It was not easy to find immediately uh, supplies from uh, from allies, from, from partners. Uh, but now we have already many uh, alternatives. Even <clears throat> we will be ready most probably to supply Ukraine from south to north uh, for the winter. And this is something
2: very interesting. Mr. Minister, we are in the building of the Ministry of Defense. There is a painting on the wall in this room. What does it portray? So,
1: uh, this is a battle, if I'm not wrong, uh, from the First World War uh, in Dobroja, which is uh, north uh, east part of uh, of Bulgaria. Uh, and by the way, this is this was, I think, the um, one of the um, historical moments in which uh, uh, Russian troops actually invaded Bulgaria, and we won. This is. Uh, this is actually one of, the, one of our victories.
0: This was The Political Periscope. The podcast is released every Thursday at 7 p.m.